Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. Hope you're having a wonderful Wednesday. We call this Get Over the Hump Day, when we are a very busy day ahead of us and looking forward to everything that God's doing today. And I hope you are too. We have a wonderful gift. It is called life, and we ought to embrace it. Thank God for what we have. Challenging days, tough days, difficult days, but very good days as well. And what we're laboring for, you and I who are born again, is we are laboring to enter into the rest that God has for you and I. He has provided a rest, a repose of human struggle. In other words, there is a harbor of peace and joy and love and safety that we can migrate into by faith. And that's what we're laboring to do, truly, because the world is becoming just so chaotic. I think we just dodged a bullet yesterday, by the way. And the bullet that we dodged was the threat that if they did not charge uh, Officer Chauvin with three counts of murder, then there would have been some real devastating times last night. So there was a bullet dodge. And I'm trying to get the, uh, the mindset of what really happened up in Minnesota a year ago. Uh, There was a trial. There was a case. There were two sides to the story. But I guess I am under the impression that regardless, there is not going to be the kind of peace that the world wants to afford. And we did, to a degree, escape or dodge a bullet. There's no doubt about it. But have we really? 
And just a little note from yesterday's broadcast as we were talking about the peace of God, the peace that Jesus gives to all who trust and believe in him. That's the peace you and I operate in. But as far as the world is concerned, there will be no peace. Rather, a revolution of violence will fill the streets of America. The gloves are coming off, and the raw reality of human nature and hatred will be felt throughout the land. Destruction is determined, and many will enter the fray and find themselves in the midst of the great second civil war, revolution, violence, war. I believe those words are true. I believe there is a civil war going on in the United States, and we are uh, kind of flirting with the, you know, the beginnings of that. And there have been many attempts to bring this into full-blown war, but uh, we're not through yet, unfortunately. And this situation in Minnesota uh, that just passed today, I guess woke up this morning, a young lady was, or somebody was, uh, a teenager was shot by police officers And yet they're saying that that case was a little bit different. So regardless of where things sit right now, remember, not as the world giveth. The the world just gave everybody in America a day of rest, a peace, no violence, no burning, no, you know, shooting, murdering, maiming like we saw for a year. No, because we got the verdict we wanted. And so maybe that was justice. Maybe that was, as many people are saying, not justice, but accountability. Uh, regardless, that's where the world is. It's a powder keg. We're walking on eggshells, and a lot of people are, and there is that capitulation, that tolerance, that compromise, that spirit of fear that's running rampant in our society, and doing everything in his power to seep into the minds of God's kids as well. And so we keep maintaining that there is a peace that produces great joy that is moved out from the love of God. You know, I truly believe that God loves everybody. I believe that God is love. So if you are love, how can you not love everybody, right? I mean, it's obvious. And it's never God that's being put on the judgment seat, and we are the jury. You know, the human race is the jury about God, and we accuse God for different things, and we blame him, and, you know, he's the, he's the problem. He's the supremacist. You know, God is the, is the supreme God, and so today's environment would accuse him of being a supremacist. And he is a supremacist. He is God. But what is supreme about God is his love. And so his love is not to be put on trial. It's human nature. It's man's lovelessness and unwillingness to cooperate with God. It's his own rebellion, and it's his own um, angst, and it's his own uh, negligence towards the creator by worshiping and praising him for being who he really is. And this is the problem. It's always been the problem. It's not God. Who is on trial is the human race. And the reality is of humanity is that we already have a sentence that has been passed upon us, and that sentence is guilty. The whole human race stands guilty before God. That's in the book of Romans, very clear. So if the whole human race stands guilty before God, well, how does God's love uh, intervene in that kind of scenario? Well, God's love intervenes by sending his son, the son of his love, 
Yeshua, Jesus, God sends his son into this world to pay the sentence. The sentence is on humanity. It is transferred to Yeshua. He pays the price. He is the one that carries the penalty, the shame, the disgrace, the crucifixion, the death penalty of humanity is now transferred to him so that those of us who believe and have a spirit of faith and somehow understand that it's not just that God so loved us that he gave his spotless, only begotten son of God for our sins. That doesn't seem just, but we have been justified through our faith in what God has done. I mean, God really has demonstrated his love for the whole world for dying for you and I in the sins of every person on this planet. The church's job is to get the message of God's love out to them. And yet we live in an environment where that message is beginning to be ridiculed, mocked, twisted, perverted. You know, God loves you. You're, you're the, you, you, you are evil and you're going to remain evil. You're going to do things that are wicked and abominable. And, but God loves you and you're going to go to heaven anyways, because God owes you something. Well, listen, God doesn't owe anybody anything. God did not owe the human race the sacrifice of his own son. God gave his son out of love, but God will be a God of justice and wrath and judgment in the end times for those who have rejected his son. You know, to turn to Buddha, to turn to any ism on the face of the earth and reject the knowledge of Jesus Christ is the most foolish thing any human being could ever do because no other ism in the world can take the place of the love of God that was demonstrated in the death of Christ on the cross for the Jewish nation first and then to the ends of the earth. But not just the Jewish nation, but for all people past even unto Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, uh, the blood of Jesus, the work of Christ on the cross, all encompassing, and it's a love work. But for now, if you are going to show such love and determination, and you're going to allow such an act to take place, but now you have a generation, and it's been throughout you know, the history of the church age, people just have rejected the knowledge of Christ. So God makes it very simple. He who believes shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be damned. It's that simple. It really is black and white when it comes to the word of God. Now, life is not black and white. There are all kinds of gray areas in this journey called life. And there are circumstances and events and, and, and things that go on that you can't just put into a black and white category. There's a lot that goes on, and God is merciful, and God is full of grace. He didn't give his son so he could get as many people to go to hell. No, he gave his son to win as many people, and it's not his will that any would perish, but that all men would come to repentance, which simply means would turn to him, because man is born with a disease. Man is born with a dis ease in his belly, in his gut, in his subconscious mind and soul, because there's a death sentence on the human race. And so God is not wanting people to be lost. He's not trying to make things difficult. He's simply saying to the human race, turn to me, turn to me. And so when we turn to him, now here's the key. We cannot just verbalize our repentance. We cannot just say, well, I'm turning to God. I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ. Remember, the devils believe and they tremble, right? So I believe in God. 
They were saying, for example, this is just an example about the George Floyd case. The testimony that came out is that he was a man of God, that George Floyd was a man of God. Now, I don't know George Floyd. I don't know anything about it, but I do know, according to coroners and all this stuff, that he was, the day he was arrested, loaded with drugs, PCP. There were some drugs on the inside of him. He has a testimony of being a drug addict, and he may be a nice guy, whatever, but the day he was arrested, there were drugs in him. So if that was a common theme in his life, and he was still involved in fornication or anything else, you know, with his girlfriend or whatever, okay, this necessitates him not being a man of God. This means that he may be a man that said he believed in God, but he wasn't obeying God. He may have turned to God, but he didn't obey God. Well, his turning to God without obedience means nothing. And if we don't get that black and white reality, I don't care if you're white, red, yellow, black, green, brown, whatever. I mean, turning to God is for the solution to our problem. It's going to the great physician because we are sick. We are a sin-sick people, and we turn to Jesus Christ as the great physician. He gives us an antidote. He gives us a prescription. The prescription that he gives to us is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number one, here's the commandment. Here's the prescription. And the word commandment and prescription are one and the same. Here's the prescription. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to be healed because your love for God is going to bring about an inward transformation of your life. And if you love God, Jesus said, you'll keep his commandments, okay, the things that he requires, the things that he asks us to do. And what is the next thing he asks us to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if I love God, I'm not going to worship idols. If I love God, I'm going to do the things that um, God has spoken in his word, that I'm not going to take his name in vain. I'm not going to do anything contrary to loving God. And when it comes to my neighbor, I am certainly not going to do anything that is ill toward my neighbor. I'm not going to kill. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to bear false witness. I'm not going to commit adultery with my neighbor's spouse. I'm not going to uh, do any of these things that are contrary to the simplicity of what God has required of us. So the answer to everything for the human race is love. So God is love. He first demonstrated his love. He first acted in a manner of love by giving his son. And then he calls us to himself. He calls us to love. And he asks for you and I to love him, to honor him. He doesn't put 613 rules and regulations on us and tells us if you make one mistake, you're guilty of them all. Because those who try to live under the law of Moses or try to live under the Old Testament law, if you break one law in your heart, not just externally. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. So you could try to keep all the external 613 parts of the law and the Ten Commandments, but even if you kept the Ten Commandments externally, you could still be breaking them inwardly in your heart. So what Christ has done for you and I is washed us clean from our sin, taken the sentence of guilt, shame, and condemnation away from us, filled us with the Holy Spirit to give us an ability to live the life that God chose for us. And when we live that life, asking the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us, now we're on the right pathway. 
Okay, so now we're walking in confidence and boldness. We're experiencing the joy of the Lord, the blessing of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. I mean, we're walking and we're living with a eternal hope inside of our heart that if we die in our vapor here upon earth in which life is a vapor and if we expire today in our vapor if we've been honoring the lord and loving god well we know that we have eternal life we know that our names are written in the lamb's book of life we have a future hope we want to be salt we want to preserve the values of god we want to reveal them to the nations around us whether it's in our neighborhood or at the store everywhere we go be salt and light it's such an easy thing The only difference right now, and it's always been this way, but it's more escalated now, is that we are living at a time where the expiration date of man's glory on this earth in rebellion to God is come to an end. It's simply that we now believe and see and recognize very clearly that we may very well be the final generation on this earth. And we say that not based upon uh, random thought. We say that based upon Bible prophecy. There is a prophecy that tells us, again, that when you see the fig tree put forth its branches, know that that is the final generation. And Israel is likened unto a fig tree, and it put forth its branches in 1948. In Psalm chapter 90, we are told that God will give the, the number of our days will be three score and ten, which is 70 years, and if by strength... 80. And so Israel today is 73 years old, 73, coming up on 74 in May. It's going to be 74 years old. So we're in a generation between 70 and 80 years of the generation of the fig tree putting forth its branches in 1948. How miraculous was that, that a nation scattered for over 1900 years is brought back together at the end of the end of the ages, fulfilling Bible prophecy along with Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 12, two of them, that there would be an increase of knowledge or the exponential rise of technology, and people would be traveling all over the world. These are major prophetic themes that shout to us so that we're not just walking in blind faith. Oh, you know, they said that before. You know what Second Peter chapter 3 says? It says that people will come in the last days scoffing at the idea that the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And they'll say things like, they've been saying that from the beginning of time. These things have been here since the beginning of time. And surely they have. But there is an ignorance, whether it be a willing ignorance or whatever kind of ignorance, there's an ignorance in the human psyche that Bible prophecy that was spoken before and things that have never happened are happening right now in our midst. So, What does this mean to us? It means that you love God, I love God because God first loved us, and we're living for God. We want to obey God. We want to be sanctified. We want to be purified. We want to be holy, not in religious holiness. We want to be holy by what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. We want to confess all sin, repent of all sin. We want to thank God for the gift of life. He's given us richly all things to enjoy, but we hold them loosely because we know that they could be gone any moment, that our contentment does not come from the things of this world. Our inner contentment, our spiritual environment comes from what Christ is doing in our hearts And we should be walking on earth as the most confident people on the planet, even now. And yet, we are aware, we are aware that the turmoil and the judgment and the wrath 
and the commotion and the instability that is growing with wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places and troubles and commotions and signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, people's hearts failing them for fear of what they see coming on the earth. Okay, being aware, watching, praying that we would be found worthy to escape the snare that is coming upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. I mean, there are scriptures here that maybe they have been read before. And maybe in every generation there have been signs that made people think, well, maybe they're the ones. But there has never been the end time Bible prophetic signs that are happening in our generation that I just mentioned. And so... Here we are today, and let's not believe that the world is going to find real peace apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ. Listen, even worldly justice is not going to produce the kind of peace that Jesus Christ offers to humanity. Because here's the fact, while these people are demanding justice before God, they are guilty. Because many have not yet confessed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, nor have they repented and confessed. For if they had repented and confessed, surely they wouldn't be burning down buildings. They wouldn't be looting, robbing, stealing, killing. That's like saying God's Ten Commandments says thou shalt not steal. But if we have a right to steal and loot and burn and be violent, that God accepts that somehow. God doesn't accept that. So while you're demanding justice in this sin sick world, you are violating divine justice. And this boils down to incredible hypocrisy. I mean, we are living in the most deceptive, darkened, hypocritical times ever recorded on the face of the earth, except maybe the days of Lot or the days of Noah. And Jesus said that the last days would be like the days of Lot and like the days of Noah, and we need to be awakened and prepared. And so that's how I wanted to begin our broadcast today. I'm waiting for Brother Daniel to connect with me all the way from Australia. He's not here yet. Uh, So let me first of all say good morning to our friends on Blog Talk Radio. Let me say good morning on our chat room to our sister Carol Carey. Good morning to you, David Ellison. Good morning to you, sir. Melissa Fletcher from South Dakota. We'll be seeing you in, gosh, less than a month now. Looking forward to it, but just about a month. Kevin Hauger, good morning to you, sir. Um, David Ellison says Floyd was already dying with all the fentanyl and heroin in his blood. So it wasn't PCP, it was fentanyl and heroin in his blood. That was a problem. What George Floyd really needed, he needed deliverance. He needed salvation. He needed to confess and repent and get the real help that he needs. All this stuff that's supposedly helping his cause, it's not going to amount to anything because it's an unjust cause in and of itself when you stand guilty in the justice of God's view. I mean, do you really think that God is all involved in what is going on in a revolutionary communistic setting? I mean, what we're witnessing right now in our country, to be very honest, when you read the books, when you listen to Daniel Seckham, is a communistic invasion. The playbook of communism is at work. It is at work in our nation, and it's working because the news media and all this daily saturation, the daily drip, you know, our 
symbolic heroin drip that keeps the masses kind of at ease and appeased. All right, well, this playbook of communism is exactly what's happening, but they're putting a religious tone on it to make people feel like it's the right thing. But I'm telling you, before a holy God, where there are people calling for justice when they themselves are unjust, before God in his standard of what things mean, it's going nowhere. So again, I think he was right. Uh, Dave Elvison says before he got out of the patrol car. Right. Cindy Massman this morning. Good morning to our sister Cindy. God bless you. And to all the bus drivers out there today that are driving buses in northwest Arkansas. I see Brenda Torville is with us today. Good morning, Pastor Vincent. Good morning, Brenda. Carol Carey says, we live in time where evil is called good and good is called evil. We know that. We believe that. We're going to talk about it here in just a moment. And then Terry Shannon is with us today. Good morning, Brenda and Vincent and all other guests. Good morning, Brother Terry. Shirley Woosley is with us today. Good morning from Texas. Good morning. How are things going in Texas, Shirley? A.M. Abru, good morning. Blessings to all accounts. Thank you, A.M. Abru. Thank you, and welcome to the broadcast as well. Uh, Terry Shannon's talking about the way we're preaching. Brenda Torville, good morning, Terry. Terry Shannon, correct. Luke 21, 34 has never manifested itself before in world history, and that's the point. There are many Bible prophecies that have never manifested that are doing so before our eyes. And A.M. Babru says, great morning to all and blessings to all according with Almighty God's will and purpose. Amen. Dennis Stossman is with us today. Good morning to Denny and Sally. Welcome home. We've missed you. And that is the opening of our broadcast today. We're 25 minutes into the program. And here's the reality. The world is seeking peace. But the peace that the world can have or give is so below. It doesn't even get on the scale of the peace that God wants you and I to have. And our job is to continue to talk about things going on in the world because Jesus said, do not be ignorant of the signs of the times. His generation, they were not perceiving the signs of the times, and he rebuked them. We refuse to be rebuked by the Lord for being silent about what we see. The only difference is we are looking through a biblical lens at the signs of the times so that we could share what we see and interpret these times and what they mean. So today, let's talk about something else. Now, again, I was planning to have Daniel with me on the air today, and he's not here. So I want to talk to you about the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Why is this important? Why is this important? Well, let's begin in Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Here's what we read, and I'm going to just pick it up in verse 12. Mark 13, 12 tells us, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all nations, or men, For my name's sake, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. And let's look at this word here. It says in verse 11, Matthew 24, 11, Jesus spoke, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. 
And because iniquity shall abound. We're talking about lawlessness here. Lawlessness. The love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax cold. We're talking about the doctrine of once saved, always saved. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read these words. Let no man deceive you, in verse 3, by any means, for that day shall not come. And it's talking particularly of the day of the Lord when he returns in the clouds. Okay, and the dead shall rise, and we who are alive and remaining shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That is the day in view here. And he said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. A falling away. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. And let's keep in view right now, keep in mind, how many, how many of us believe, because we go to church, because we have knowledge of the Bible, okay? How many of us believe that if we died today, we're going to heaven? Okay, probably all of us. All of us probably believe that if we died today, we're going to heaven. We believe that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We believe that we have been received, we've been born again, we've been adopted into the family of God, the grace of God has come upon our lives, and We believe that. Why? Because we trust in Jesus Christ. We say we believe in Jesus Christ. He's my master. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. We say all these things, and we believe it. But where is our belief really showing up? How do we know we believe? Well, obviously, if whatever we say we believe, if it's true belief, it shows up in our conduct. It shows up in the fruitfulness of our lives. It shows up in how we carry ourselves. It shows up by what we become. And we're all becoming something, okay? We're becoming the sons of God. So we have a belief system. But what was the warning and why so many times in Scripture in the New Testament is there a warning to people who say they believe? Well, here it is, okay? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 3, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3. And let's really just take a look at it. Um, actually, let's go to verse 4. Okay, so Hebrews 6, 4. This is about your soul right now, okay? This is about your eternal soul. Don't you think you should spend some time and evaluate what we're about to say? I, I need to doubly look at it, okay? I'm, I'm looking in the mirror at myself as well. And you need to do the same thing. You need to let this word penetrate your heart. You have to allow this to happen. For it is impossible. So there, right off the bat, there's something impossible. What is it? It is impossible for those who were once enlightened. What does it mean to be enlightened? Well, obviously, in the context, their eyes opened to the message of the kingdom and of the king, Jesus Christ. So it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, awakened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Okay? There's been a taste. There's been an experience. There's been an intimation with the heavenly gift. What is that heavenly gift? And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. How many of you know that you cannot be a partaker of the Holy Ghost without believing in Jesus Christ and being baptized in the Holy Spirit? 
So there are people that have been enlightened to the reality of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God. So they knew the word of God. They've tasted the word of God. They have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. They're recipients of the heavenly gift. Um, they've, all these things, they were enlightened. They know the truth. The light came on. If they, okay, and also by the word, not only have they tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, that's when you walk in the power of the spirit, you know that you have authority over demons, you know that you have authority over weather, over death, over sickness, that by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, you could see these things accomplished, okay? So they were participating in all these things. Would you say that an individual that has been enlightened, who has tasted of the heavenly gift, who has made a partaker of the Holy Ghost, who has tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, would you say that person was saved? I would. I would absolutely say that person was saved. But there's something impossible concerning this person. And here is what it says. It is impossible, now in verse 6, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So the writer of Hebrews, writing to Hebrew believers, okay, they were being tempted to go back to Judaism and to deny Christ. They had come to a place under the gospel administration in the beginning of the church age. They have received the Holy Spirit. They saw the power of God. They were partaking of the gifts of the Spirit. The Word of God was rich within them, the Word of Christ, who gave the New, uh, the New Testament instructions. And all these incredible things were happening. But because of pressure from the unbelieving Jewish community, they were beginning to turn away. They were falling away. And what the writer was saying that if you fall away, it's impossible to renew you unto repentance again. Well, you say, thank God that was written to those Hebrew Christians. Well, wait a second. It's written to all who believe. So there is a reality of believing, participating, experiencing, and there is a falling away. And then in Thessalonians, we just read, that before Jesus comes, there will be a falling away that's going to take place, an apostasy, a defection, or a departure from the truth. How is that going to happen? The love of many is going to wax cold. Why? Because they're going to be hated of all nations. Why? Because the world is becoming a place where anything that is of God, anything is of Jesus Christ, anything that is of the true Holy Spirit. And I know there are counterfeit gods and counterfeit Jesuses and counterfeit gospels and counterfeit spirits. I mean, that's clear. The Bible says that. But the true God, the true Christ, the true spirit, the true gospel will have no place in this world. And so we will be hated of all nations for his namesake. And people will begin to betray one another. They will be offended at one another, and this is going to be the environment in the last days. Jesus spoke about the end of time. 
So the falling away is going to happen. And it's going to happen among people that once believed, that once walked in love, that once walked in integrity and faithfulness, that once walked with the power of God to preach the gospel, the power of God to heal the sick and raise the dead and all the gifts. But if we're not paying attention, we could be deceived by the gifts. In other words, if we're resting on the fact that I could pray up a storm, cast out a demon, lay hands on the sick and watch them recover, and because I can do those things, I'm going to heaven, this is short-sighted. Because we know, well, let's read it in Matthew chapter 7. Here's what we read. Not everyone, and I'm in Matthew 7:21. Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father. So the only people that are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven are they who do the will of his Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful works? And then... Will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. You today, I today, on this beautiful, peaceful day in America, on planet Earth, we're not considering that we have fallen away, that, you know, we're, we're somehow not in the right place. We all believe we're saved. But here's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying that the environment is going to change. He's saying that pressure is going to be applied from every direction, and it's going to be very satanic pressure. And it's going to hit every individual that has not honored the Lord to the degree that they would be in a preserved place. You know that there are preserved places. In the book of Revelation, one of the churches, Philadelphia, that they would be kept from the hour of temptation that would come upon the whole earth because of their conduct and their love. There are those that are going into the wilderness in Revelation chapter 12. There are 144,000 that are sealed that won't be touched by the tribulation. But in Revelation 7, the untold multitude that no man could number the majority of those who believe are going into the Great Tribulation. And what does that mean? That means there's going to come a lot of pressure. The pressure is coming from the world, from all the nations of the earth. Everything about true Christianity will be despised. It will be hated. This is what the Bible says. So what Jesus is teaching is maybe right now you're okay, but how deeply rooted is our love for God. Are we at the point of willing to lay our lives down? Are we easily offended when people do us wrong? This is where we search our hearts. Do we have rejection issues with people still? Are there raw areas that have not yet been submitted to the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit in our soul? Are there broken, fragmented parts yet un? dealt with 
These are going to create the vulnerabilities. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. I mean, we read the story of Jacob and Esau, how God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. Why did he hate Esau? Because Esau had the birthright, but he sold his birthright for a pot of beans, and his compromise began, and it ended in an inability to find repentance, an inability. For example, here in Hebrews, we read these words in chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Verse 14, Hebrews 12, 14. Here's the instruction. Listen to this from yesterday's broadcast. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Looking diligently, now here's an instruction for you and I, looking diligently, lest any man fail or any person fail of the grace of God. You're telling me the grace of God, we could fail it, we could miss it? He said, look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, Mm, watch out now. Any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I'm going to tell you a story. You'll never know who I'm talking about. This happened in the eternities past. Let me just say it this way. There are people, real people, that go to church They read their Bible, they have gifts, they believe in God, okay? But they've never really gotten to the root of their bitterness. They've just not gotten to the root. There hasn't been a surgery, okay? And so this bitter root is always there. And at the most inopportune times, that root manifests the bitterness, and it cuts off the purposes of God in their life. This is just a reality. Okay? We may have you may have seen that in someone's life before where their bitterness literally drags them away from what God's intended purpose for them is, which is a very good thing. But this bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Now listen to what he says here. Okay, so I'm a believer but I'm defiled. Now it doesn't end there. Verse 16 says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. 
Hmm. What happens when you can't find repentance? Is there salvation? No. There's no salvation. You see, there is a godly sorrow and there is a worldly sorrow. And I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> Could be right or wrong about this. So I want to read it because Paul was dealing with the church at Corinth about a lot of issues. And one of the issues was about this godly sorrow that he wrote to them. And I'm pretty sure it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is speaking uh, to the church. There were some real big issues going on in the church. So let me just pick it up in verse uh, 8, I guess. Now let's go to verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. I want to make sure I'm in the right place here. Let's make sure we're in the right spot. It's chapter 7. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. No, let's go to verse 2. 2 Corinthians 7, 2 says this. Let's go to verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, that's our responsibility. Paul then says to the church, receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, but I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. In other words, Paul's like, man, if our tribulation is producing good fruit in your life, praise God. And then in verse 5, he says, for when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. They had peace on the inward parts, believe me, but outside it was stormy. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforts those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. So Paul's actually saying, when I heard you guys were still okay with me, man, it really blessed my heart. And then, listen to verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, but that you excuse me, has made you sorry, though it were but for a season. So Paul said, I wrote you a letter. I'm not repenting, even though it was a hard letter, but I noticed that it made you sorry too, but it was only for a season. And then in verse 9, he says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Wow. And then he said, 
For you were made sorry after a godly manner. So in other words, this godly sorrow produced repentance. Then he said that you might receive damage by us and nothing. Verse 10, for godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. What is he saying? Oh, I'm sorry for what I've done. Oh, I weep and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But if that being sorry does not produce repentance, which leads to salvation, it's only a worldly sorrow, only producing death, emotional outbursts of, I'm so sorry. What God is looking for, what the Apostle Paul was looking for in the life of the church at Corinth, is that his letter that he wrote to them about some really bad stuff, and he had to get hard. Shall I come to you with a rod, or shall I come to you with love? You go read that first letter to the Corinthians. It was tough. But they were doing some wicked stuff, and he's rebuking and reproving in that letter. Now he's writing a letter, and he's noting that the letter he wrote, even though it was hard, And it wasn't his real desire to be that way, but he had to say these things because he couldn't just let it go unchecked that they actually repented because they they had a godly sorrow. It penetrated, and their godly sorrow led them to repentance. Then it opened the door to salvation. Now, if Paul would have wrote the letter, and it would have hurt their feelings, and they would have kind of had a sorrow, but it didn't lead to repentance or transformation or change, It would have been worldly sorrow, emotional, fleshly, carnal, and it would have only produced death. Only produced death. Why are we talking about these things? Because there's a gospel that's telling everybody that once you're saved, once you say you believe in Jesus, you're always saved. And you're going to go to heaven no matter what you do. No matter what you do, no matter how you live, we just read that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. That there is a possibility to have been born again and then to have gone away from the Lord. We just read, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, open up. I've done all these things in your name. He says, I don't know you. You're lawless. In other words, you are not living according to my standard and my instructions. You are not obeying me. Now, here's a man in the gospel of, or the, of the epistle of Peter, and if you had to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, listen to this guy. I mean, is this salvation or what? In verse 1, I'll just pick it up, 2 Peter 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So here's who he's writing to. And he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace multiplied. I'll take it. How about you? Verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life 
and godliness. So every resource that God has given you and I pertains to life and godliness. Through, here's how it came, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So God has called you and I to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, something's been given to us, exceeding great and precious promises. We have these exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped... Say it out loud. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All right? So have you escaped the corruption? Are are you a partaker of the divine nature? Have you tasted the Holy Spirit? Have you become a partaker of the Holy Ghost, like it said in Hebrews? Well, here's an individual that by these great and precious promises... They might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, not will escape, having escaped, they escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Sounds great. Praise God. That's the way we want to live. There's a problem in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, speaking of the same individual or these people, same ones. And there's about these false teachers, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. Okay, Peter, what are you saying now? Listen, verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions or the corruptions, we just read about that guy, right? If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the pig that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Here's a person that escaped the pollution through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, became a partaker of the divine nature. No different than Hebrews chapter 6. They had the word of God. They were partakers of the Holy Ghost, the good word of God. No different. And yet, they fell back. They fell away. The question is, when a person falls away from the truth and continue to act out in uncleanness, defilement, corruption, torment, bitterness, are they really saved? Can you be saved and carry a root of bitterness? Well, you could be, but eventually, if you don't deal with that root of bitterness, it'll spring up and defile your life 
And before you know it, you'll no longer be able to find repentance. To me, this is serious business. Because if we're going to talk about business, let's talk about the business of the kingdom of eternal life, the kingdom of God. Your soul, my soul, to God is the most important business on this planet. And just because we go to church, we have position in church, I happen to believe that there are those that have operated in the gifts of God from apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. They've walked in the miracle working power gifts. They've prophesied. They've spoken in tongues. They've laid hands on the sick. They've got, I believe a lot of people that have had this experience with God in the last days are going to fall away because that's what the Bible says, the love of many To me, it doesn't matter if you've never been named before. Nobody knows your name. You're just a quiet individual somewhere in the world. You love Jesus, but pressure begins to hit. For some reason, people are going to fall away. Now, God doesn't want anybody to perish. 2 Peter chapter 3. It is not his will that any should perish. So what we do in Christendom is we're very concerned about the unbelieving world. And we all rush out there and we want to save sinners from the raging fire of damnation. We tell them about Jesus and that they would make a decision. Come to the altar, brother. Come to the altar, sister. Confess Jesus Christ. And they do. And we go, they've been saved. Hallelujah. Billy Graham said if there were one thing he would have changed, it would have been to disciple because 80% of the people in Billy Graham's ministry, according to his own mouth, fell away after they accepted Christ. That's what he said. So a lot of people come and, and we Christians go, yay, Tony got saved. Betty got saved. Hallelujah. But now that we're saved, This is where it becomes really dangerous. Why? Because the enemy knows this word. The devil knows this word. He knows that now that person has been saved, but he will do everything in his power to bring them back into bondage, and he knows he can do it. Through enough pressure, through enough whatever he wants to employ against them, the devil doesn't give up on your soul. And just because you go to church and just because we, uh, you know, are connected to a group and we're trying to hide out and be safe and say, well, that group is protecting me. No, no, no. This salvation must be centered in Jesus Christ alone. There cannot be a well, I belong to a really cool church, and therefore I'm going to be okay. No, 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 no. Your relationship to your Father in heaven through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what you've got to lean on. I'm not trying to make the narrow way narrower. I'm honestly not, man. I love God's grace, and I love the reality that he 
expands my, David said he enlarged my, my, my feet beneath me. I, I mean, I've got lots of room to journey and love the Lord. And, you know, I know that God's merciful. And if I sin, I can confess my sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I want to be cleansed. Okay. The salvation is awesome. The joy of our salvation is ridiculously powerful. But do I subject my soul in this hostile world against God to powers, to temptations, to willful sin? Do I neglect, like it says in Hebrews, let me read Hebrews chapter 2, please. Hebrews chapter 2 says it this way. Therefore, verse 1, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward under the Old Testament, How shall we in the New Testament escape if we neglect so great salvation? Salvation neglected produces a falling away. Our salvation has to be tended to. We have to continue to wash ourselves and cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Why? I'm going to say something to you right now. Probably the most important thing I've ever said. And it came up in a Bible study last night and I heard it and I repeated it and I'm getting it now a third time. Salvation. The only way and I'm going to capitalize only, the only way that you and I are going to survive what is coming, if we are the end time generation and the great tribulation is coming and the persecution and martyrdom and war, I mean, if it's all coming the way we believe the Bible has taught us is coming. And this frontal attack of Lucifer, every evil energy in the universe is going to be employed against God's church, right? You and I. The only way to overcome it, the only way, is to be walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. The reason why we are to be perfecting holiness and the fear of God in our lives, in other words, taking the blood of Christ, taking the word of God, applying it to our conscience, our subconscious, washing ourselves, repenting, confessing, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why does God want us to do that? Well, ultimately, he wants his image back, right? But there's another reason. You see, there was only one person on the planet that ever existed that overcame the devil and that was Jesus and the reason 
why Jesus overcame the devil is because he walked in the spirit. He walked as a new creation. He is the firstborn of a new species or new kind of man. That's why when you and I are born again into Christ, we're to take on his nature. We're to be partakers of the divine nature. By partaking of the divine nature, which we understand is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, regardless of Satan's attack, he cannot beat us. It was proven with the life of Jesus. Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are. He was assaulted by the devil. He was tempted. He was attacked. He was brought to the cross. I mean, he, his whole life was about surrendering, giving up, but he didn't because he walked by the Spirit. So, if there's uncleanness in you, uncleanness in me, maybe that uncleanness is unforgiveness, maybe it's fear, maybe it's phobias we've never dealt with, maybe it's critical thinking, suspicion, paranoia, maybe it's depression, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's pride, maybe it's lust, maybe it's all kinds of stuff, maybe there's some area that we just fluff off and say, oh, that's just human nature, that's just my flesh, that's just carnal thinking. Remember, if we think out of the carnal mind, you shall die. If we walk in the flesh, you shall die. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whoever walks in the flesh shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Galatians chapter 5. It's so clear everywhere. What God is saying to you and I in our generation, and he said from the beginning of the church age, learn to walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because if you are walking in love, in joy, in peace, Let's go ahead and read it one more time. But remember, don't neglect your salvation here. Now, Galatians, Paul just says it this way, and it's it's something we should hear again and again. And it's a very powerful statement. He says this, This I say then, in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There it is. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would in the flesh. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he says this, very important. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And he gives a list. It's not an extended list. It's just partial list. But he said, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not. But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's what he's saying to live in. Here's what he's saying to walk in. Here's what he's saying to be led by. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law 
And they that are Christ's, you and I, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. All right. So here is a mystery of how to succeed in the last days, walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Wow, what a journey. Have any of us arrived at the hundredfold in every area of these fruits or attributes? Oh, we say, heck no. (laughs) But we say that almost like excusing ourselves because we have to ask the next question. Is it because we put all of our effort into it and we just haven't got there yet? Or have we not even been attempting to walk in the spirit? We're just walking with a mental ascent. I'm saved. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm one of God's favorites. I'm his kid. You know, he's talked to me in times past. He's revealed himself to me. You know, do we have just this mental ascent? Or are we working out our salvation with fear and trembling? Realizing, and here's the key, that in these last days, the devil is going to search us like he wanted to sift Peter. He is going to search us with a spotlight to find some area of unfinished business, some unredeemed area of the soul, some pleasantry of human flesh that we enjoy, that we haven't repented of. He's going to look for one area so he can exploit it, that he could enter into it legally. He can operate in it. And he's going to do that to entice the rebellion, to cause to fall away. You know, in Nazi Germany or whatever, could you imagine three or four Nazi soldiers standing around a man? They got this man. They got their weapons drawn on him. They want to know. They want information. And they're threatening his life. But he's come to a place that says, well, you could take my life. I'm not telling. I'm not talking. And all of a sudden, they bring his seven-year-old son in front of him. They put the weapon to the seven-year-old son's head. Then they take the wife, and they line her up, and they take a weapon. What are they doing? They are employing these fearful mechanisms to get him to give the information, to give in. If there's anything in your life that you love more than God, and what they're wanting him to do is to renounce Jesus Christ. Four Nazi soldiers, machine guns, all of them drawn, pointed at his head, Renounce Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do it. Seven-year-old son brought before him, wife brought before him, 10-year-old daughter brought before him. Renounce Jesus Christ or we're going to kill them. If he loves his family more than Jesus and he comes to a place of giving in, I renounce Jesus Christ to save his family. Is he saved? 
The devil, in like manner, is looking for that area that is not surrendered to Jesus Christ. We are to love less everything, starting with our own lives, on this earth. And our love for God must be supreme. The devil's going to test us. Do you love your life more than Jesus? Do you love the blessings more than Jesus? Do you love physical material things more than Jesus? Is Jesus just your genie in your pocket that you take him out when you need him to help you live a better life in the here and now? You see, this is reality. And this is what saints of God have had to endure since the beginning of the church age. Now, I would have to imagine that that father loving God supremely would be grieved and heartbroken and he would not renounce his faith and he would watch his wife, his son and his daughter die and then maybe even himself. But he would have to have a hope that he had trained his wife, his daughter and his son to love God supremely and to set an example and then to be reunited with them in heaven in the eternal realms of God. Can we endure this kind of tribulation, persecution? Can we go to prison and stay faithful to God? Can we be assaulted by every spiritual demonic force? Is there a vulnerability in us? And what I'm saying today is because of where we're at, it is imperative that you and I examine our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Is there anything? I do not want to offend God ever, and I don't want to offend people. Woe to those who bring the offense. I do not want to be offensive. I need to be led by the Spirit of God. And then you you get into these intricacies of what does that actually mean? Jesus was totally operating in the Spirit. And yet he went into the temple with a whip, and he began to go through the temple. What was that? Was that anti-divine nature? No, the zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. Zeal and passion are further attributes. Zeal and passion for his father, not for himself. Is it not written that my father's house should be a house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. Yes, the zeal of the Lord, his passion was for his father's will. Should we be passionate about our father? We should should be. Are we? What I'm saying, the Bible is saying, is that you may feel very comfortable right now in your salvation. All of us could. Oh, man, I'm ready to go. But we haven't had any persecution to speak of. We haven't had any real tribulation to speak of. We don't know what it's like to have all of our goods spoiled. We don't know what it's like to have everything taken from us. We don't know what it's like for loved ones to die and the temptation of the devil to blame God. Why did you do that? We don't know. We haven't been tested this way in America. And the church in America is just trying to keep everything stable, keep it normal. Don't talk about this stuff because you don't want to mess things up. Don't rock the boat. We just want to go home and if we're going to die, die in our sleep and keep everything normal. That is a spiritual reality in our country right now. In churches everywhere, I do not want to hear the gloom and doom. 
I do not want to hear negative things. But it's because they are not ready. They're still worldly. They're still carnal, fleshly. And I'm not pointing a critical finger. Again, I am observing and listening and looking doubly at my own heart, okay? You see, the teachers of the gospel, as we expressed last night in Bible study, are going to give a double account. We are doubly accountable, and we will receive the double and the greater condemnation if we do not teach well. There is a doctrine running rampant within our society, once saved, always saved, inconsistent with the word of God. No man could snatch us out of the palms of the hands of Jesus, right? I agree, no man can, but we certainly can jump. We could certainly disallow the hands of the potter to fashion us into what he desires, We could resist the Holy Spirit and not cooperate with what the Spirit is leading us into. I'm not talking about somebody that has been prone to addiction. They got born again a week ago. They confessed Jesus Christ. Their lives may be a mess, a wreck. Their marriage is whacked, everything gone, hated by their family. Listen, the thief on the cross went into paradise because of his genuine confession. He knew and he confessed. I'm not talking about an institutional, religious, squeaky clean. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the raw, genuine condition of the heart. Your life may be a wreck. You may be, Paul the Apostle said, man, I'm in conflict. He said, my heart was burning. I was in all these conditions. We had fear within, fear without. We had troubles everywhere. I mean, the reality of life was hitting him, as it will you and I. But internally, he held on to Jesus. Internally, he found the joy. He found the peace. He kept his love For God, the Holy Spirit was still in him. In the greatest storms of life, this is what we must have. And how do we have this? Well, you and I who claim to be born again must already admit that we already have Christ in us. And the Holy Spirit of God is in us. So what we need to do now by faith, knowing that he's in us, if we're really saved, is tap into the relationship. Crying out to God, spending time with God. What are you after, God? What are you after? We spend nights awake. What are you after? What do you want? I don't get it. I don't understand it. What have I done that has shaken the the level of peace? You know, when peace is, you got to ask, well, what, what did I do? It's constant examination. Constant working out. You say, well, man, that's just too, I I don't want to spend my life doing that. Why not? That is life, because every time we're walking in obedience and being led by the Spirit, life is exponentially awesome. And this is what we want. And then when we have to face the music of the world and the devil and all of that stuff, man, I'm not budging. That's where it has to go. That's where it has to go. 
Are you saved? I could go into examples. We were in a mega church in Jacksonville, Florida in the 1990s. It was a mega church. 15,000 people, I believe, went to this church. We were there. And the church just went through a split. I think there were like 800 people left at this church. And it was due to gossip, not some wicked work, gossip, slander, like a cancer started working in the church. When we showed up, people were broken. We had an RV and Patricia, every single day, person after person were coming into that RV, getting deliverance, healing, restoration. I was preaching the word of God. We were in this meeting. We met the guy that ran the camera. We met the guy who run the whole thing for television in that area, confessing to us that while he does this on Sunday, Friday night, he was fornicating, sniffing cocaine. And he said, nobody ever asked me. They just keep telling me how saved I am because I believe in Jesus. People are watching pornography. People are watching filthy movies. People are having abortions. People are committing sensual acts, unholy, abominable acts of homosexuality in the church, watching homosexual pornography. People are not restraining their lust. People have hate in their heart towards other members of the body of Christ. Anger. Pride runs rampant in the house of God. The green-eyed monster of jealousy and envy. And yet all they hear from the pastor they never really talk to because he's a CEO of a big business, all they keep hearing is you're saved by grace. The biggest smile on their faces, you're saved by grace. You're going to heaven, not even knowing how their congregation is living. What a rude awakening awaits. And who's going to stand in the greater condemnation? The people that spoke those words to them. Did not hold them accountable did not speak the truth in love, did not encourage and exhort to holiness, to righteousness, with the unique, wonderful personalities that we all have to integrate and spend time with in joy and laughter and fun. And To me, it's very serious business. I know one thing. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to wake up and say, Lord, Lord. And saying, Vince, I I don't know you. I've never been intimate with you in the spirit. You didn't relate to me. You didn't intimate me and one with me. You didn't union with me. You carried your emotions. You walked in flesh. You walked in feelings. You walked in ideas and concepts, but you did not obey my words. I, I don't want to hear that. I want to live with a heart of repentance. I want to live with it. I want my conscience to be so shocked by the smallest thing that I do that would offend God or anybody else. And if my conscience tells me that I'm doing something wrong, my conscience 
If my conscience tells me I'm doing something against God or someone else, I want to have such quick repentance. And if there's something that I'm blindsided by that I don't see, then I need to have people speaking into my life. I need them to tell me what I do not know. I need them to show me what I do not see. I need this. Why? Because I really want salvation to be complete. Our job is to preach the word of God. And I believe this is the word. And just remember as we're getting ready to head out of here today, once saved, always saved. And I just brought you a few verses. It's everywhere. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. He who practices such things won't be. I can go on down the list. There's so many new covenant scriptures that defy literally once saved, always saved rhetoric, doctrine. It's a doctrine of demons, and it runs hand in glove with pre-tribulational rapture. We're all going to be out of here before the bad guy comes. No, that runs hand in glove with once saved, always saved. It's always in the realm of the easy way out. And yet Jesus said he who endures to the end shall be saved. All right, that's it. Robin Jones says, Pastor, thank you. I'm praying for a pastor like you to come into my church. We lost our pastor in March. We need a man to talk about these things and reach out to the men in our church. All right, Robin, I'm available. Patricia and I will come to your church. We'll speak if anybody wants us to be there. Just give us a call. We'll be there. Pastor Daniel, Almighty God, bless you, yours. I am, I'm Vincent, by the way. Daniel was supposed to be with me today. He didn't call in for whatever. We'll find out why. Uh, may your words reach far and wide to all who need it. It's so sad to see my family and loved ones refusing to see the truth today. I keep praying. Kenneth Bruns says, time is getting short. Check our hearts. Kevin Hauger says, we must all work moment by moment to obtain our name in the book of light, of Lamb. You work to become a follower and must continue to overcome ourselves. We all have Satan biting at us. Yeah, and I know Kevin's not saying that we are saved by works. No, 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 no. We do work out our salvation, though, with fear and trembling. All right. Uh, Shirley Wolseley says, I've been searching my heart and have been asking forgiveness and forgiving others. Make in me a clean heart. Amen, Shirley. Way to go. All right. Uh, Kevin says, once saved, always saved. A man-made doctrine that was not founded upon God's words. It was a given false hope. So people would join their church. Since he was 16, he knew this was wrong doctrine. False hope. Uh, A.M. Abru, I recently lost my mom. I don't know where she is in eternity. I pray the Lord's mercy upon her. She was a churchgoer, believed she was a good and right, but something she had bitter, paranoid, hurtful. I pray she repented. I do too. Stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 that says that they are baptized for the dead. I don't know exactly what it means, but it says it, and it should be searched out. You may be the representative of your entire family in heaven. Don't give up hope. Praise God. All right, so, um, again, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And um, 
That's it. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Pastor Vince. Right now on OmegaRadio.org, there is a roundtable discussion on overcoming, on being an overcomer. You don't want to miss that. Just go to www.OmegaRadio.org, OmegaRadio.org, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That continues to broadcast messages of every kind. We put that together three years ago. All right, so you get there. God bless everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, shalom.